Welcome to the Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden and Sam Chamlin. Hello, podcast. Welcome to the next installment of our Ecotones of the Spirit podcast series. This podcast is a particularly unique one as it rose out of a dinner conversation that Anna and I were having around health. And in the middle of it, we said, stop, wait, let's get a microphone. So we reconvened and recorded this conversation about health and wellness. This is, of course, the essence of the entire podcast that we're working on, inviting you directly into the conversations that are happening around food, health, and ecological well-being. But I've got a big ask for each of you today. I kind of messed up on the recording, so the sound quality today is not great. That's on me. But I hope that you'll press through because this particular conversation was a genuinely robust engagement around health and faith. So we invite you to this particular table for our conversation, Our Full Sustenance, with Carrie Coley-Murchison, Sarah Howell-Miller, Alex Trays, Wilson Dickinson, and your humble hosts. I'm after a long, long day and dinner to continue the conversations that we're having around the dinner table um, here with our listeners in this broader community. Um, and Wilson has hand-selected our conversation partners tonight around the words faith, food, and health. Um, so I'm going to start off by what comes to mind for you in maybe either your work and your journey or even to something that's present in these um, conversations at this gathering around those three words. I am Sarah Howell Miller and I'm an ordained United Methodist pastor. Um, Faith, food, and health come up in a lot of um, different ways for me. I'm um, kind of involved in the world of um, substance use and harm reduction, which has been a lens for considering how we treat health as kind of an individual moral um, obligation and achievement, um, sometimes from a faith perspective as an obligation in faith. Um, I'm also the prioress of an intentional community that is connected with um, a farm that is starting to shift its mission to be more about um, dealing with food insecurity and health disparities in our broader community, so starting to explore that from a farming and gardening perspective. Thank you. I'm Alex Trades, and Food, faith, and health to me brings up an image of a church potluck. Um, I am a pastor in a lay capacity at a Presbyterian church in Durham. And I think, in fact, on Sunday we hosted a potluck, and I wasn't there, um, but was coordinating from afar. I think of meals shared in that context, but I also think of the food that's eaten throughout the week by folks who are in the congregation. I think of the ways that so many kind of chronic and preventable diseases are linked to food and to our broken food system, or in fact, our food system that is broken, but perhaps made to be broken um, for particular reasons that I can talk about. And I think of a congregation or a community of faith not only as kind of a place for healing the spirit, but also for healing the body. And I'm really interested in the ways that food plays a role in that. Um, and find that the more I get into that, the more kind of new life and new creation there is and a lot of hope. 
Uh, I'm Dr. Carrie Coley Murchison, and I prefer to be called Coley. I believe that every human being has a right to creatively contribute to the world around them. That belief also then kind of fuels my work, which is kind of like, well, why don't we all feel that way? Or, or what is keeping us um, from being able to do those things? And I think um, most of, well, I also lean into like my real passions, which are like food and um, I, maybe not necessarily like health, but I think of it in terms of wellness. Uh, I do work pretty big in like the wellness space that's being created. Um, but in those spaces, I'm constantly thinking about how I can bring my personal faith and my personal experience and how we can uplift and amplify um, others to do the same. So I think my, my work is actually now finding its way <laughs> into whatever intersection of food and faith and health. Um, and I think it's, it's a moving kind of like oscillating thing. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm Wilson Dickinson. I'm just here helping to uh, convene. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a writer and a teacher and a pastor that lives in Central Kentucky. Um, but I, I'm actually, this is, you know, all these institutions of health and all the ways that health and the good life is framed by um, communities of faith obviously completely shapes my life. Um, but it's, this is usually not the lens that I use, so I'm, mm -hmm. so I'm here as convener to learn. Also, and my wife uh, works in the mental health field, so mm -hmm. I guess this is, a, this is something that is constantly on my mind, though not mm -hmm. since it's a matter of expertise for me. Well, and I also think that these are three words that, as human beings, we all connect with, right? I mean, faith maybe is the most specific mm -hmm. that might need you to be nuanced, but we all eat, exactly. <laughs> yeah. and we all are some kind of, like, I don't know, health can get, a, okay, we can get into definitions, right? But you said, a, yeah, I pushed back. Oh, no, it wasn't, it wasn't a pushback, but I think that, that kind of, um, you're saying, like, we all connect with them. I, I think the reason sometimes I, I lean more into wellness is because, well, I, I think it encompasses, health encompasses a lot that sometimes like the way we've been taught to think about health and health yeah. institutions don't. But then I think my personal um, experiences that have brought me into this space are more like, uh, I don't know, just like of my, my body and of my own understanding and making in a way that I, that hasn't always been included in discussions of health, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's, um, a book called The Salt Eaters by Tony K. Bambara and literally like one of the opening lines is, are you ready to be well? Mm -hmm. And that is, that is, first of all, the book is amazing, so anybody should read it. It's, <laughs> folks call it one of those like hard books, but it's just, it, there's just so much in it. But it's, um, that line is what I try to keep in mind when I'm now like doing work because it brings up so many questions about like well what is well and like how do I feel well and like does does my feeling of wellness 
Like, is that the same thing as like Sarah's or mm -hmm. Alex's? And I try to really dig into every day, like, you know, right now it is like, do I feel healthy? Do I feel strong? Do I feel capable? But like, in order to feel capable, like, do I feel spiritually sound today? Do I feel full in terms of like my connection with like God or the earth? Like there's so many things that kind of like go into that. Mm -hmm. um, and then there, I don't know, there's this, for me, I'm still parsing out, there's this like connection of food because food does have a way that actually fits into all of that for me. It's like a spiritual experience. I know that I can use it to heal myself. I know that so many folks don't have access to to that kind of knowledge or that, that even that kind of like concept of food as healing sometimes. So I'm still trying to figure out all the ways that I can work myself into that space and also give that to other folks who look like me and, and who have gone through this, some of the experiences that I have. So I'm thinking of our speaker this morning, Gary, who was speaking about the importance in this time that we're facing to not only restore, to restore our food system, to restore our environments, but to restore mm -hmm. our environments mm -hmm. and to restore our food system. And I'm, I've been thinking a lot about story and just We've been spending a lot of time this week actually talking about our sacred stories and sharing our stories. But I think there's a lot of power in terms of who is doing the restoring and who is doing the restoring. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that I'd like to pay kind of greater attention moving forward to that kind of particular like approach for work, just thinking about what is my relationship to health and being yeah. well. Yeah. And how might that be different from Coley's or Sarah's and kind of why, but what can we learn from one another? How can we join together in this kind of greater mission of restoring and restoring? Uh, but I think there are a lot of narratives around health um, that are important to pay attention to. I only have part of that story. Mm -hmm. um, anyway. Well, I think that's something Fred said yesterday morning, which means of just the importance of how language matters. Yes. And I think just the fact that the difference between the word health and the word wholeness and I'm not saying that they one should replace the other but like mm -hmm. right in that conversation there's such mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot to wrestle with and to wrestle out mm -hmm. yeah. can mean different things to different people too I think and there's also ways that those phrases have been co-opted I think yeah. in unhelpful yeah. ways yeah. so that's yes. where I feel like faith communities have this unique role of coming in with better language and better stories um, so that we can define wholeness like are you ready to be well like, what does that wellness look like Yeah. from the perspective of faith how, how have they been co-opted corporations yeah. <laughs> corporations I mean, I, I, yeah. they're legions of Instagram using tiny body <laughs> like smoothie making constantly working out people keep going well, a lot of what I think about when I think about health again going back to what I said about health being portrayed as this sort of individual moral duty and achievement that yeah. if I'm not healthy or well then it's because I'm doing something wrong and if I were a better person then mm -hmm. I would be able to correct there's this yes. moralization of health that is so toxic and the church just reinforces it yes. in really, really destructive ways. And something I came across recently that I, because I still wrestle with, I hear health and I just kind of bristle because I'm like, what does that mean you want me to lose 30 pounds or whatever? Um, because sometimes that's what people mean and that's mm -hmm. actually not what health is. But um, 
the, the health at every size um, movement defines health not as like a state of being, but as a capacity or a resource. Yeah. And that totally changes the conversation. So mm-hmm. it's not about what are you doing right or wrong to contribute to good or bad health. It's about um, what are the systems in place that are or are not giving you access to this resource of, it's mm-hmm. really, it's really wellness. Because if you think, I mean, health, and we do in, in, in faith communities talk about health as physical, spiritual, emotional. You know, we have these rich resources for thinking of health in a holistic way, but we often narrow it so much and we still, you know, even when it comes to mental health or, su- or substance use and addiction, it still is moralized so mm-hmm. profoundly. Um, and I think we need to get away from that. And I don't know if a, if a linguistic change will help that or, or, or what it can do that, but it's, it, any time, yeah, I, I, there's so much blame assigned yeah. to people yeah. for having quote-unquote poor health yeah. without interrogating the systems yes. and in place that have made that possible and likely in, right. in many communities. And I feel like, to build on that, that there's a moral implication in the church, I think we put spiritual, like, well, if I'm not, if I don't do these things, then am I going to be worthy of God's love? I mean, we go straight from morality to this bigger question, and what would it look like if we were beloved mm-hmm. by a creator, yeah. as yeah. we are, yeah. and yeah. as we are being called to continue to be? Yeah, what are some of the ways that that kind of spirit-body connection can be made? Positively by faith communities, you know. I mean, yeah. I think about you know the thinking about like Bonhoeffer's take on being made in the image of God is not that you know human beings or that God became man so that man could become God, right? But God became a human, and that makes our humanity in its frailty and limitations redeemed, mm-hmm. right? Or even you know the bodies that Jesus is always working with. And, and not just working with and on, but through mm-hmm. our broken bodies, or bodies that are broken by empire or seen as per, seen as broken from the perspective of empire. But so, so what are what are but what are some resources from religious traditions that maybe can be healing, mm-hmm. can promote wellness? Okay. There's a okay so. I'm going to answer your question by telling the shorter story. Mm-hmm. Um, so a friend of mine is a um, gay male who works in um, the food wellness space for like very um, kind of popular food blogs and movements and things. And so a large part of him being a part of that movement um, has been that like, the folks within that movement are like uplifting him to say like, hey, we respect everybody, blah, 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 right? So that's less the part of the story. (laughs) But he put up something about Pride Month um, and said, um, was basically just suggesting that like, you know, we as people are equal. And there's, uh, there are all these comments that are just like fueled by hatred, but then there's this like one comment from this Christian person that thinks that they're like, doing some kind of like good and explaining and they're like well we're leading with our religious values and so these things tell us like this and so we're not trying to like we're not coming against you because we're terrible people or because we hate you it's because we want you to know 
that like here is what what you mean in relationship to us and our religion, right? But and my friends with something else about like um, folks being equal again, and their comment back is, but we're not all equal. We all show up differently in such and such and such and such, and they just go on, and I'm like, oh, here's what we as Christians do, and lots of other people, but particularly we as Christians, we associate difference with inequality. <laughs> and in fact, oh, yeah. that's strange. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think if we actually like used, if, if we stopped living in the world where we pretend that we're using the Bible to guard, guide our actions, but like actually looked at texts and actually looked at what like, self-acceptance and our relationship to to like god and creator and like how different shows up in the bible and is accepted over and over again then there we do have really strong tools to actually empower people to like feel like they too can be included in a kind of like space for health and i i think that's, I know that's my thing that I'm constantly harping on. I'm like, look at the text. Mm -hmm. Like the text tells you that like, you don't actually have to feel shame about this thing. Mm -hmm. You don't actually have to carry this guilt. You don't actually have to like hate yourself, which is what these things kind of make us do because there's no external thing that you need to be kind of like giving yourself over to over and over again. Like you literally are of the creator. And so you could accept that and you could then try to figure out, well, okay, I'm different from Sarah's body. That's different from Alex's body, and that's okay. And so now I need to figure out what my own health looks like. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't I know I'm like ranting on this, but I'm thinking even like you brought up, uh, I don't know, just like doctors do it, like how it's kind of been co-opted. But I'm trying to think of like when I moved back to North Carolina, uh, I was having like all kinds of allergies and breakouts and I had gained like 40 pounds and my doctor was like, here, take this Zoloft and I need you to work out every single day for an hour because you need to lose weight. And I'm just like, but, but that's not, but, and, and she's also making a lot of assumptions, right? Mm -hmm. And like change your diet. And it's like, but I literally am in the wellness food space and tell other people how to do it. And it was like, oh, you can't even take a moment to accept that, like, I might be a different kind of person from some other body that you've healed today, and that, like, in actuality, because I experience inflammation, working out for an hour every day is actually going to make it worse, which is actually going to make me not sleep, which is actually going to make me gain more weight. I just think there's so, like, if we could get all the way back to that thing of, like, difference is okay and we need to understand it and we need to assess like address people in that way then we could actually like start doing some healing or like figuring out what health really is as opposed to like health with capital h that we don't all fit into well and that yeah and that reminds me of a conversation we were having the other day about um power and different kinds of power yeah. and um i'm forgetting the name of the author so we might have to look it up in cindy suarez cindy suarez yes thank you the power <laughs> manual yeah but she talks about dominating power versus liberatory power and how basically what it boils down to is how you deal with difference. And if mm. difference is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And so that's the thing. I think mm -hmm. that a lot of times how we talk about health is trying to erase difference and create sameness. I mean, and you can see like a BMI chart is a thousand percent that, like that it is trying to create sameness. But if we look at, you know, from a Christian perspective, scripture, uh, diversity, difference, it's, 
just shot through all of the text. And the sameness doesn't have to do with with uh, body size or gender or any of these things that we are constantly trying to conform and make the same in our society and even in our churches today. That's not where the unity comes in. And but the but the church has struggled to really own that. Mm-hmm. And so. Yeah, here we are. We're still mm-hmm. exercising this dominating power over yes. over bodies that are different mm-hmm. because of skin color or size or mental health status or you know you name it. Health becomes this very narrow thing instead of drawing on liberatory power to mm-hmm. enable people to engage with their embodiment and their create. You know, I mean, like the incarnation to me is this just most profound theological tenet of. And who, I don't know, one of the ancient Gregories, I get them all mixed up. That's something about, like, you know, like, what is not, yeah, what is not assumed is not redeemed, meaning mm-hmm. Jesus took on all of our humanity, therefore all of it is redeemed. Mm-hmm. Nothing about us is unholy mm-hmm. or un, or irredeemable. Anyway, I don't know. You do Thank know. you. You do know. You do know. Oh, thank you. I think that, um... I'm going to put it on Sarah so that I don't have to bear the weight of being like, and this is why historical oppression and racism harms us all. Yeah, yeah. But it is. Mm-hmm. Like, what you're explaining is like, I know I'm the person who will always be like, well, you know, if that wasn't racist, then like we wouldn't be suffering. But like, if people were not inherently racist, if our healthcare like, system was not like created, by studying black folks and then and then labeling them as other and then defining what like is whiteness and health, then like you or anybody could be any size they wanted to because it wouldn't mean that like you're closer to like what is other, right? Or like if we actually spent time like not separating out, like not just redefining like what is like, I don't know, just like, uh, if we didn't spend time defining like health and disease as related to specific communities, mm-hmm. when those specific communities like experiences are created out of like yeah. systemic oppression, yeah. then we could like actually really understand like how sleep <laughs> is related to like disease or like how our like stress levels or anxiety level or any of that as opposed to just like, well, you have diabetes because you're black and you eat bread. It's like, what? <laughs> That's not at all how those things work. But it affects it affects all of us, you know? I, I, well, I don't want to make the self-care move and move from talking about systemic issues to like, well, how do you manage that all on your own, right? But, but that is... But I am curious, you know, I mean, one of the conversations we've been having here is about kind of the, the weight of ministries that are involved in justice, ministries that are involved with dealing with issues of climate, and ministries that are involved with with health and oppression. And I, I do wonder some of the, the wisdom or communal connections that you all have found in kind of trying to pursue your own wellness. Yeah. Or pursuing that wellness in community, right? So not mm-hmm. so you're not putting it off on yourself and trying to white knuckle it. Gary talked about these wellsprings of abundance mm-hmm. or these sanctuaries in our lives, these places and spaces where we draw strength from. And I really appreciated getting the chance to think about that today. And there were things that I listed that I think I've taken for granted potentially, but where I find strength and resilience is 
a lot of times around the table, a lot of times around whether it's the communion table or the church potluck table or my kitchen table, sharing meals with folks, and in that relationship that like is transferred through food. Um, several years ago, um, Dr. Brittany Cooper came through to Duke Divinity. I don't know if y'all know her. My fellow Scarlet Knight. <laughs> incredible. I remember one quote, and this was in the context of talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and just the inherent trauma of, her, of working in that space, but also the need for resilience. And she said, as she'd been thinking about it, hope I'm saying this right. Dr. Brittany Cooper, hear me. She said, there's no justice without pleasure. Mm. Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. I love when things tickle you. For <laughs> our, our listeners, I just did a really silly hand gesture. It was beautiful. And it was so this is on the YouTube channel. Yeah. <laughs> that was full embodied joy. That yeah. was experience. And that's the thing. It's, yeah. it's about finding these places where we can be fully embodied and fully just joyful and for me that is often you know like cooking it's often um singing i do a bunch of music things in durham which is where i live um but it's also in meeting my really naughty garden at my rented house <laughs> that i it's the garden is kind of a mess but i'm trying to make it better um it, it's I think that also as Christians too, we can shy away from this word pleasure because of the connotations of just being like, okay, this is only about sex. Sarah's dancing now. Yeah, yeah it's true, it's true. <laughs> Not picture. There's, there's this whole kind of spectrum when we think about, about what pleasure is, but I think it's both thinking about our embodiment as, as people. Um, it's, it, it takes place in the body. It comes through the body. Um, it also comes through spirit. Um, so anyway... I, I'm trying to find more ways to exercise joy and yeah. to embody it and, yeah. and to do that on my own, but really to do it in community. Yeah, so this is some stuff that I've been thinking a lot about lately, too. And um, Adrian Marie Brown just put out a book called Pleasure Activism. I think she actually has mm, an essay. She does. It's, it's really good. It's, it's really good. Really but it's all, it's all about this very thing that you mentioned. Of the, uh, and sometimes, too, it's, it's, a, it's like the way that we think activism is supposed to be. Is it's supposed to be hard, and we're fighting a battle, and it's for... But really, like the point should be, we're we're working for human flourishing, yes. and that is a yes. profoundly joyful, pleasurable thing. And I think there's like a connection to health as well. Um, I'm not going to drop too many book names. I've been reading a lot for school lately, but um, I've been reading a book that is talking about um, kind of how um, medicine interacts with substance use, and particularly from like queer politics, mm -hmm. and. Um, it's interesting because it's that one of the things that the book brought up is that we often see medicine as a restoration of health as something kind of unpleasant, unpleasant like a bitter pill or you know you need a spoonful of sugar to make the medicine go down, mm -hmm. and that um, anything that is contributing to health that is pleasurable is kind of suspect in mm -hmm. this puritanical culture that we've come up in, and so then anyway that colors how we see people who use drugs, but that's like a whole other story. But but just this. This, um, you know, and like pursuing health is often like, well, you can't have that brownie cookie that they had at lunch today. Mm -hmm. You need to just eat the salad, and then you need to exercise for an hour a day, even yeah. though it's going to make you miserable. But you have to do these unpleasant. Ar I mean, some people like exercising; it's great. But mm -hmm. um, you have to do these unpleasant, arduous things to achieve 
health mm -hmm. and what you know what would it look like to instead like engage in joyful movement and mm -hmm. to take pleasure in food and in relationships and in our bodies and that I like I really think that is how and why God made us mm -hmm. that our it, our bodies it, being able to experience a variety of kinds of pleasure is not like an accident or a temptation to sin but it's part of God's design and part of what Jesus took on in the incarnation you know mm -hmm. <laughs> One of the things I find most helpful about the kind of the self-care discourse in clergy circles, which I think is mostly unhelpful, is that I think spiritual disciplines are very helpful, but I think they also give us sometimes access into seeing the kind of other kinds of disciplines that shape, shape our lives. Right, so just like mm -hmm. the Jesuit practice of examine, it's like, it's like a mirror opposite of a to-do list, mm -hmm. right? And, and a to-do list is a spiritual exercise, right? And there's all these kind of mechanisms that surround us that kind of shape our experience and our relationships. And, and, and I think a lot of what you all are naming from these like kind of institutional yeah. um, pressures on health are these certain kind of like secular spiritual exercises that, you know, certain kinds of unhealthy lives and, and so I I wonder if I mean we, we've named a couple of mechanisms maybe that are that are traps up to this point I wonder if there are any other you I mean I don't know if you want to expand on kind of what you were saying from the beginning um, about kind of the shifting to, to like harm reduction mm -hmm. away from talking about addiction is mm -hmm. a problem, or not to put you on the spot, anybody. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. I Sometimes I, because for me, this stuff all feels very profoundly connected, but I can't, I'm not sure I always communicate well how it's all connected, but um, but really for, for me, um, exploring substance use and harm reduction has just opened up a whole world of, like, all of our drug policy has a profoundly racialized history mm -hmm. and institutional racism embedded deep in how we think about drugs and people who use them. Mm -hmm. um, but then also these, a lot of how I'm thinking and talking about health these days comes from, from looking at a lot of that. But so harm reduction, there's harm reduction, lowercase h, lowercase r, which are a set of practices and principles that are designed to reduce the harms of, of drug use. And often that is you know, syringe exchange, distributing naloxone, the avoided overdose, overdose drug, education on safe injection, et cetera, et cetera. And these are all the practical things. But then there's also harm reduction, capital H, capital R, which is a social justice movement mm -hmm. to restore the dignity of people who use drugs and to um, heal the harms of racialized drug policy. Mm -hmm. And um, I wonder if, if kind of that two-tier model is just sort of a helpful framework for thinking about um, these other bigger issues of, of health and food and faith. Of, there are kind of these practical things that we can do um, that are important and good and necessary, um, but that there's a bigger picture and there's a bigger movement that they're a part of. And, you know, it's it gets talked a lot about, especially as harm reduction gets a little more mainstream, um, you know, things like syringe exchange are becoming legal more places, they're being done more, but often without the social justice movement attached, which mm -hmm. um, then you get into spaces where people with who use drugs are still being treated really poorly. And you might be giving them syringes, but you're still not treating them with any kind of dignity or respect. And so 
So I like it's great that you're giving them a clean needle, but it's not actually achieving what needs to be achieved, which mm-hmm. the, there are profound community brokenness and harms that need to be healed. And so, yeah, maybe I don't I don't I don't know, if, but just in my mind, that's some of what I think of that. Um, even even a gathering like this, like we've had a lot of conversations about who is and isn't present at something like a regenerator, you can mm-hmm. of the spirit, and mm-hmm. that we have these practices of coming together and doing these things that are really great. But then if we are, um, you know, if black women aren't in leadership and visible, then we're, we're missing something of the bigger social justice movement that I think we really intend and want to be a part of. I love the idea of the uppercase and lowercase. Um, and... Maybe that's how we can end, is if just to have a round of reflection on the piece that's... Yeah, so I, like, I think about um, an example of specifically of food and faith is the uh, intentional community I work with is on um, what used to be the Methodist Children's Home Campus. It has a working farm. There's a garden there that was actually started by members of a church that I used to work for and it's the food bank garden and so they grow vegetables and they give it to Second Harvest Food Bank of Northwest North Carolina and this fresh produce gets distributed and that's in, it's incredible work but it um, I guess it's kind of making me think of like the charity versus justice yeah. models yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like outreach of, of that work is really important because that is food that is going directly onto someone's plate that needs it mm-hmm. but then what's also important is you know, while those seeds are being planted and that food's being harvested and handed out, that we're asking why are there so many yep. hungry people in our communities? Because where I live, we're like in the top three areas mm-hmm. in the nation for childhood mm-hmm. food insecurity, mm-hmm. and that's unconscionable. Yeah. And so, you know, it's it, it's again one of those things. Yeah, give out the vegetables, but if that's all you're doing, there's something mm-hmm. missing. So yes, keep doing that, but then ask these bigger questions, interrogate. The, the systems that mean that East Winston-Salem is a giant food desert, whereas in you know the Ardmore Buda Vista neighborhood, there are like five grocery stores in a mm-hmm. 0.3 mile radius. And mm-hmm. so, I think um, I probably if if we didn't have like the the words that we're using for this conversation, I would just like wrap all of this up into um, sustenance, which is a thing mm-hmm. that we talk about a lot. In our groups and our business, because I'm, I'm, we're just committed. Like largely, I'm committed to seeing all of us get to the future, and I don't mean like like our bodies, but like whoever it is, our kids, our grandkids, like our our future ancestors. I want us all there, but I I also really really am committed to a different kind of future for black bodied people, you know, and and I think a large part of that has to do with how we experience life. Um, and just like having better access um, to things. And I'm not talking about like skills and access when they give us jobs, but I mean like literally like access to how we think about ourselves, own our agency, can move forward. And and I know that um, it can be very simple, like wanting to separate out the food and the health and the faith, and and also for me that's like really tied up into like our full sustenance. And so I don't really I don't have an answer for how we're getting there, but I'm like very committed to continuing to figure out like what conversations we can have. It is is my working on my like full wellness and and using my full capacity to also kind of like 
amplify the capacity of others helping to get us to the kind of like sustenance that we need for that future. Mm -hmm. I, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I wonder if part of the wisdom is that we can't separate them. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah and maybe. That is actually maybe, like, yeah. that the wisdom is in, in that mm -hmm. right there. Yeah. One other thought as well is that, to be honest, kind of thinking of, of the local and the large scale, looking up to the large scale kind of greater justice picture, I can get very overwhelmed and at times can mm. feel a sense of despair just given the forces that are moving against kind of new creation and yet, because there's always an and yet or a but, I continue to look to small places and people at the community level doing incredible work and I've met so many folks here this week who are doing that work um, who have been kind of called and who have responded who feel a sense of urgency and immediacy, yeah. that things are not as they should be, and that there's another way. Um, and a lot of that is kind of this new consciousness, developing new language, finding like-minded people, mm -hmm. and continuing to kind of learn humility. But I would love to, even in my own life, ground myself a bit more in that local work. Um, Joel, who's one of the participants, kind of coined this phrase, or maybe he said he saw it on a bumper sticker, I don't know, but he said, you've got to be rooted in what's real, or rooted yeah. in the real, mm, yeah. and I'm thinking in my own life, how yeah. can I be more rooted in the real, so that locally every day in my own you know, little backyard, I can be rooted, how can I do that in Durham better? so that I can connect to the capital food and faith work in a way that's meaningful. But also knowing, as we've been reminded, that some of the seeds that we plant and so we might not actually see yeah. in this lifetime. Yeah. And that's really humbling, but that also yeah. times can be intimidating. Like, well, what do I even do if I don't know? But I want to try to still sow those seeds, even though I have no idea. I think that I think that's hopeful though. I think I try to I try to look at that as like okay, knowing that I am here today, I am with you all and there have been literally black people who have like fought <laughs> to be in a place kind of like this and haven't had access, who have had who have had to give their lives over to social justice movements. Like I think of that as literally being a part of our working, like whatever it is. So I think it's it's useful to be in a place like this actually because it really reminds me that we're an ecosystem that I'm not responsible for like social justice. You're not responsible for faith, food, and health, like justice, right? We are all in our, I like that rooted in what's real because like what is real is that like I'm here and if I step outside of my ego, like none of this is about me. <laughs> like thank God I get pleasure from it, but it's, you know what I mean? But like, yes, we're not gonna see the fruit of our labor because it's not, it's not for us. Like we're a part of like some larger working, you know? So it's, that's also kind of like a relief. Yes, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's thank you for that. End on that. Yeah, I was, I was just gonna wrap, yeah. yeah. So I'm, Poor I'm, Nikki my, my first thought was you all have made you all have made oh, sorry, the sorry. episode no, title awesome. so unbelievably difficult to pick out because there have been so many excellent gems. Um, but uh, but one of the things I'm really grateful for um, in this very fruitful conversation is that health, you know, we talk we've done in this space we do a lot of food and we do a lot of environment, but 
the way that you all have brought health together and helped us understand that how all of those, how these big ideas impact our actual bodies um, mm. and impact our actual communities um, has been truly a gift. And so it's been a joy to spend this time with each of you. And thank you very much for making some time to be on the pod. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yes, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Listen, what you don't know is that now you've kicked off our own podcast. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we didn't know we needed a podcast <laughs> If you've enjoyed this podcast, we invite you to download the rest of our Ecotones of the Spirit series and to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date on the conversations happening around food, health, and ecological well-being. Thanks for listening to the Food and Faith Podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest University School of Divinity, Plainsong Farm, Garden Church, and The Keep and Till. And the music is by Paul Deemer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod, or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.